We have visitors. I'm always a little embarrassed for you guys. <laughs> just, a, just a little. <clears throat> uh, good morning. <laughs> it has become that, that's for sure. Uh, I'm going to start with something this morning. Actually, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119. Uh, I have this at the end of my notes for today, and then I thought, well... Why don't we just look at something really neat uh, at the front so that if I run out of time and I can't get to it, then so be it. But what we're going to be looking at is this. <coughs> now, in Psalm 119, you, have, uh, you can read that, right? Don't forget to go right to left. That was... Oh, yeah, the, yeah, I know. The quality of picture over there is not that great. But uh, look at Psalm 119.33. Uh, in the New American Standard, the updated version, there's a title to each stanza. Uh, in my Bible, there's a hey, uh, which is what every, every word in this stanza begins with. Uh, <clears throat> so the first one you see is actually verses 1 through 8. Of Psalm 119. What's neat about this is this is what we call an acrostic psalm. And acrostic means that each stanza follows a letter uh, in the Hebrew alphabet. So there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and uh, each stanza starts, every word in that stanza starts with that letter. <clears throat> so the, circled in red, it looks like a backwards N. That's the Hebrew Aleph. That's their A. And every single word in the first word of the, each line starts with that letter. So it starts with an Aleph. Uh, the one, and so the one next to it, uh, yeah, it's harder to see, but each one of those starts with a He, uh, which is the Hebrew H. So that would be the starts with, with He. <laughs> and hey, there goes my microphone. So... Uh, so look at it. Look at this. It says, "Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes." The, in verse 33, "Teach me" starts with "hey." That's the word, the Hebrew word for "teach me." What's wonderful about Hebrew, uh, in terms of relating it to English, is that Hebrew does actually follow word order, like English does. Uh, our English doesn't make any sense unless we follow a word order. Uh, Greek is not like this. Greek is bizarre. Uh, you can put words anywhere. But when it comes to Hebrew, they have to be in order. So in your English, that is the first word. Right? It's, so it says, teach me, 34, give me, 35, make me, 36, incline my, my heart or incline me, 37, turn away, 38, establish, 39, turn away, and 40, behold. And all of those words start with the Hebrew letter He. So uh, this psalm, which is, right, if, you, if you're reading the psalms, which I'm, I'm trying to encourage you all to do, if you get to Psalm 119 and you see how huge it is, you start like, oh, you know, God, Lord, how can I finish this? And it won't take you that long, first off. You can get through it in about 15 minutes. And the it's... it's organized in a very special way. 
Psalm 119 speaks of the law of the Lord. Uh, and it's the one writing about the law of the Lord and how much he loves God's law is a sinner. Uh, <clears throat> he's very clear that he has broken God's law, but yet he loves God's law and seeks restoration uh, and a cleansed heart and so on. He, he's The writer of Psalm 119 is just like us, uh, like all of us. Um, if we love God's law, yet we uh, at times we break it and it breaks our hearts and, and so on. So, uh, <clears throat> so we have uh, each stanza, eight lines long, 22 letters in Hebrew, so 22 stanzas for 176 lines. All right, so each stanza is Aleph, then the next stanza all start with Beth, then the next stanza all start with Dalit, then, then Gamel, and on and on and on they go. And that's as far as I know of the Hebrew alphabet is those first three letters. So uh, <clears throat> when do I take Hebrew? Next semester, not this semester. Still taking Greek. All right. So there you go. Uh, and I hope that, uh, like, when you come to, if, you, if you're taking the momentum, as I'm trying to give you here in this part of the series, to start reading the Psalms on your own and to pray them, I hope that something like that would, would show you that there's special things in these psalms that um, each one of them is like a little packet of doctrine, right? A little packet of, and they vary, they're different, they're wonderful. And it's a whole lifetime of understanding them. Uh, you'll never read the same psalm twice and get the same, you, you always get something different out of it. And uh, I hope that encourages you a bit. Uh, to know that there's there's special stuff in these psalms that lie under the surface that if we keep at them and keep reading them, we'll discover these things. Um, and that's the reward. Right? As one writer put it, psalms is God's treasure chest. And if we keep looking in there, we're going to find the treasure. All right, let's uh, begin with prayer. Let's thank God for our time today to hear his word to together focus on his word and have it enlighten us. Um, when we come to God's word, we should be humble and reverent, ready to focus and understand. Uh, and so with that in mind, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are holy, just, in, in all wisdom. Uh, we come before you this morning, Father, to fellowship with you and therefore fellowship with one another, to learn your word together, to sing to you together, to worship you together. As you have, as you say in your word, you have made us alive together with you. You have risen us together with you and you have seated us with, with Christ in heavenly places all together. And that's the body of Christ. And so as we seek your word, we know that we're seeking it together. As we live in love, we know that we love and must love one another. As we, you forgive us, we forgive others, and so on. That, Father, through your word, we are enlightened as to the path of righteousness that you have for us, and you are continually opening our eyes to the benefit of your righteous law, your laws, not the Mosaic law, but what we mean is all your scripture, your commandments, what they're for and why, 
so that we may lead a life that is pleasing to you, but also pleasing to us. They go hand in hand. So, Father, we ask that through your Spirit, our eyes would be enlightened, the eyes of our heart, and that we would rejoice in our singing to you. And we ask this in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All rise, please.
still in Hebrew. Okay. Uh, Psalm 19, please. Head back to Psalm 19. So, we are, as you know, uh, looking at the doctrine of prayer. And we have uh, looked at the method of prayer. We've looked at um, seeking God in prayer, meaning seeking the knowledge and wisdom of Him uh, through your prayer life. Uh, the, the fact that as we pray, we are careful to understand that it is the Lord Jesus Christ that must be glorified in our lives, not our, ourselves. And so that thought that you know everything is for Christ, everything in human history is for him, including us, and to keep in mind in our prayer lives that it's, it's to his glory, which also turns out to be to our own joy and peace and fulfillment. Uh, but if we start to look at ourselves uh, more so than him, you know, our own comforts or whatever, and a lot of people pray for comforts or for problems to go away or for this and that to get fixed, which is, is not... The Bible doesn't say that that's wrong. It, the Bible says think about it in terms of the glorification of God in your life. You know, and so the, I think a perfect example for that is Paul's thorn in the flesh, which he prayed would be taken away. And God uh, basically, what, what God revealed to him is that it had to remain. And then Paul discovered why, that he would find strength uh, that he didn't have before. And so the thorn had to stay. All of us would have prayed for it to go away. It's, and so is it illegitimate? Paul didn't actually say his prayer was illegitimate. He just said that God said no. So, okay, God, you know, it's his deal, not mine. So, um, as, and what we've done now is look to the Psalms. Um, and the Psalms are God's prayer book. And I think, and I, I, well, at least in my life, I will say that they have been neglected for decades and no longer. The Psalms have become to me just magnificent. I, I can't, at, at, in our Bible reading, that if, if you do it with us, uh, there's, the Psalm is at the end of the Bible reading, and I'm, I'm at the point now where I almost can't wait to get to it. Uh, you know, so, but I have to be. You know, I'm like reading Romans. What was it this morning? It was Romans 9 and 10. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know these chapters. Let's get to the psalm. You have to be careful about that. <laughs> Read everything slowly. Uh, the, the topics in the psalms are many, varied. And there's 150 psalms. There's nothing in our lives, our life experience, that would be of importance and in dealing with God and ourselves in this life, that wouldn't be addressed in the Psalms. You're going to find it somewhere. In fact, you'll find it multiple times. And <clears throat> as I've said before, these are prayers that a believer has written. So David has most of them. We credit about half of them to David, probably more. And David is writing his prayer his most famous, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He writes that, but then God takes that from David and puts it in his word. I find that magnificent. You know, can you imagine if God took one of your prayers and said, you know what, I'm going to put that in my Bible. I'd be like, oh, thanks, God. You know, We'd be arrogant as crazy, wouldn't we? 
it's the only psalm you would ever read, right? Like, oh, there's mine again. You know, uh, so, you know, God took these prayers and put them in his scripture. And this shows us that God says these are prayers. You know? These are the things that I want you to pray, pray about. And we find, and uh, all, all the great writers of the past have done correlations between the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and Luke 11 uh, to the Psalms. And you'll see they over, overlap each other perfectly, in fact. But Jesus is, and we're going to study that next after we're done with the Psalms. The Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and the Sermon on the Mount, which I know in some uh, denominations they say it's not for us. Um, and you know, I understand why they want to say that, but I disagree. Uh, that <clears throat> the the Lord's Prayer is very general, and that's why it can cover everything. But it, it's not like super. It's not like so general that it has no meaning. It hits six petitions hit perfectly, exactly what we need to be praying to God about in this lifelong conversation that we have with God. Uh, so we looked in the Psalms uh, creation. Right? That was our first thing we explored in uh, Psalm 8, Psalm 19, Psalm 29. And I'm, I'm testing myself here because Psalm 104. We actually didn't get to Psalm 104, uh, but... That's, that's one of my favorites. Uh, and, and that's about God in creation and the prayers that come from that. Uh, Psalm 19 is also about creation, but in creation in relationship now to God's law. And so we have at the front of Psalm 19, God has the sun. It's the main character of all the heavenly bodies. God depicts the sun, S-U-N, as the source of life, which warms everything, which touches everyone, and we can't get along without it. All right? The sun burns out, everything dies here. Uh, so, and God relates that to his law. And in, just like in Psalm 1, which we looked at, Psalm 1 and 2 are an introduction to the whole Psalter, the whole book of Psalms. Uh, Psalm 1 and 2 are an introduction. So they're getting us ready for the rest of the Psalms. Um, and in that, in Psalm 1, we also have the law of the Lord, that the blessed ones, which is hopefully us, we meditate on that law day and night, and we delight in it. In other words, we love it. And that's what we got to get at here in Psalm 19. And, and in our prayer life. Do you love the law of God? You say, well, if you're honest, if I'm honest, and I won't be, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> there's parts of it I absolutely love, and there's parts of it that I'm like, God, could we soften these commands up a bit? Or maybe can I find a way around them? Because all of us in our sin nature, we have weaknesses, we have areas that we wish that we could have free reign over. And the law of God restricts us. And so that's the whole, uh, you know, every, I, I watch my little five-year-old there, who's, I have to have a talking to her about the song service again. It'd be my tenth one. Uh, to try and get her to behave herself. And I don't want her to be excluded. But 
um, you know, there's this is what you ought to do, and this is what you ought not to do. And all of us, we get old enough, and we find this out. And so what's our response to that? How can I break this without getting caught? Basically, right? That's the human race. We're fallen. Some of us are more of a lawbreaker than others. Some of us rejoice more in breaking the law than others. But all of us are lawbreakers. Right? As what does God call us? Uh, Ephesians 2 is one of my favorite titles for us. Sons of disobedience. That means we don't want the law. And I'm not talking about Mosaic law here. In this psalm and in Psalm 1, the law of God is speaking about all of his scripture. So in Psalm 119 and 119, make the law of God the object of thanks, praise, and petition. Uh, seeking the understanding of it so that we... But in, if we don't understand God's law and love it, we're not really going to follow it. Um, it. Not with our whole hearts, not the way that we should. Uh, there, you know, and there's the thought that comes into our hearts that say, well, you know, if I follow God's law, I'll say, all right, God, if I follow your law, what do I get out of it? Right? What, what's the reward? And is there a reward? Most definitely. It's right here in this psalm. But if the final cause of following God's law is your own blessing, then what you're really worshiping is yourself and not him. Because we don't always understand what blessing really is. Right? We think we know, you know, what's best for me. God says, you don't have a clue what's best. For, I know what's best for you. And <clears throat> so as we will see, that is depicted throughout the scripture, the ones who love the law are the ones who love God. So you can't, for us, like, you know, the laws in our country, do you love them all? And we say, well, there's a lot of dumb laws. Right? And, and who made those laws? A lot of dumb people who are seeking for whatever. You know, the bad laws are generally either made out of ignorance or out of uh, ambition, uh, seeking power and wealth. And we're stuck with them. Uh, and if there weren't a police force, right, as we've seen in our recent history, when the police are defunded in a certain city, then what happens to the crime? And they're all shocked at this. Well, crime went up. How odd. Yeah, if you're not in for it's it, uh, criminals don't, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> the reason why criminals might rest restrain themselves from breaking the law is getting caught. If they know they're not going to get caught, that's free reign. Uh, we, <laughs> we have a God who sees all. Who of us get away with breaking God's law? Yeah, no hands go up, good. Uh, none of us get away with it, do we? And we know this. And so God is very smart. He knows how to restrict us even when we don't really love his law, which is the pain of discipline. Uh, or Law of volitional responsibility, God has made it so that you break the law in certain ways, you will suffer. Physically, mentally, your relationships, your life, they will suffer. Keep at it for a long time, and it will, it will turn into something that is hard to get out of. And this, this is natural law, because God has made it this way. But there's also the discipline of God, 
<clears throat> and so we restrain ourselves even before we come to love him, like we should. And then as we restrain ourselves, God is very smart here. We see the benefits of keeping his law, that my life is better, that I'm better, I feel better, I work and live better. And then I start to, you know, as I pursue this, I, if I, this is why we have to keep at his word, because his word will continue to remind us why this is working. We might just think that it's the law itself, you know, you just do certain things and things work out. But it's actually not that. It goes way deeper. The depth of it is that the Lord, Lord Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the lawgiver, is the, <clears throat> cannot be separated from his law. In other words, what his commandments that he gives are a manifestation of his very nature. So when he says be righteous, it's because he's righteous. When he tells us to love, it's because he's love. When he tells us to not do certain things, it's because he is not of that nature. He is not of sin. And so as we go along, we're finding out who he is. And as is depicted, my favorite passage on this is in 1 John. But Jesus said the same thing in the Gospel of John. Uh, same author, that if you love me, you'll keep my commands. In other words, you won't have to be forced. It won't be because I don't want to get hurt. Uh, it will be, I love your law. I love it. And thank you for it. Because one of the things we're going to see here, if I stop talking now at the front and get going, a meeting in my notes, is that uh, <clears throat> we don't have to find out what it is we should do or shouldn't do. Imagine if we didn't have God's law and we had to go figure out for ourselves, never mind keeping it, but trying to find out what's right and what's wrong. What is really beneficial and what is really hurtful? And we have to figure that out on our own. God says, no, 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 I got you covered on that. I show, I'm show you perfectly what makes for life and what makes for death. I give it to you right here in my word. It wouldn't be clear. And you know what? I'm going to repeat it and repeat it a lot, just so you little sheeples get it. So we have, in, in relation again to our Lord's Prayer, your will be done. Uh, that request in the Lord's Prayer is for us and for those that we pray for. Uh, and if, we're, if we break God's will, then... And nothing, nothing good is going to happen of our spiritual lives. So look at Psalm 19, verse 7. We'll start at the part about the law. <clears throat> the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. And again, the law of the Lord here would refer to all revealed scripture. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is, the, sorry, the commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes. See that eye? We're going to see that. That's the light in your soul. Uh, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. And see that fear of the Lord in verse 9. Fear of the Lord is a New Testament and Old Testament principle. And <clears throat> we know that God sees all things. And to break His law is to incur either discipline or misery, some level of misery upon myself. 
And the Lord sees this and knows this. It's not that we're afraid of him. It's that we fear not living his life. And for as we mature, it'll be you fear it because you love him so much. Verse 10, they are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb, imagery here of, uh, more desirable than all the riches of the world and any sweet thing that you could put in your body. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. And he rolls in here into this stanza. I'm a lawbreaker. I know that your law restores the soul. I know that it is sweeter than honey. I know that it is more valuable than gold. But yet I am a lawbreaker. So he says, who can discern his errors? Right? When's the last time you said, why did I do that? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, and then I shall be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, meaning that he thinks, and this meditation is the same word that's used in Psalm 1. The blessed ones meditate on the law of God day and night. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What does my redeemer mean? He's the one who has saved me. This is not a New Testament concept. It's completely throughout the Old Testament that God is the one who would save. And so the writer here, who is David, understands that God is his redeemer. But do we see here that David says, well... You know, I know I'm going to be forgiven of all sin, so what's the big deal, Lord? Let me just live the way that my flesh wants to live. You know, what happened with David when he took upon himself too many wives and then grabbed Bathsheba? The workout well ruined his life. He never really recovered fully from that. Um, and he knows. And the other Psalms that he writes about confessing his iniquity and getting forgiveness, marvelous, 38, 51. Marvelous Psalms. And we're going to need all of these because at times we're going to be really plugged into the law of God and reaping its benefits in another, hopefully it's just a day or an hour, I don't. I hope, right? That you have a bad day. Hopefully it doesn't bleed over into days, but you're a lawbreaker today. What do you need? Does God kick you out? Does he turn his back? No. Acquit me of hidden faults, like David says here. He's, he's demanding, God, acquit me. All right, forgive me. And you and I are forgiven of all things. This is why when <clears throat> we confess sins, we know that we can bring these troubles that we have, these sins, these weaknesses, these areas of our lives where we sin mostly, and we can bring those out before the Lord and, and not be... Uh, afraid because we know we're forgiven. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And deal with them, with you and the Lord, and overcome them. The areas of weakness are the things that we have to really get to work on. When I say work, I don't mean works. I mean by faith, by prayer, by continual study. That we find the root cause and ask God, seek from God the faith to overcome. Because that's all it takes, really, is faith. 
But when it comes to those weaknesses that we have, that's the scariest place to, to uh, exercise faith. Right, the, flesh is, the flesh makes us afraid. All right, go forward to Romans 8. What a few passages this morning. As we look at this principle of, of trying to find our pathway to loving God's law and to to really love it because we love him and there's there's a means of getting this and God fills us in on many things that we need to know and first and foremost is that the flesh doesn't want to do any of this and your flesh you have it's called a, a old man I don't like to call it the old woman. That just sounds worse for some reason. But the old self, the, what you were born with in Adam, uh, it hates God, hates his law, hates good, uh, wants to sin, and is selfish. Uh, all of us have it. There's not one of us who don't. It's selfish. Uh, he or she, uh, uh, Paul, uh, when he writes about the sin nature, gives it a, a, a persona. Even though it, you know, I don't. It's not like you have another person inside you. Though at times it does very much feel like that. But um, as Paul writes in Galatians five, it has passions and desires, and it wants to sit on the throne of your heart. It wants to be God. And uh, look at Romans eight five. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, that means all born-again believers, the things of the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that we always set our minds on the things of the Spirit. But Romans 8 is about who we are and that we're designed for this as new creatures in Christ. If, you're, if you believe in Christ as your Savior, the Scripture is very clear that you're a brand new creature in Christ. And as a new creature, you have been made for the things of righteousness. So you are made for this. We're made for the things of the Spirit. But what about the flesh? The flesh sets its mind on the things of the flesh. Verse 6, For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Can't do it. Does your flesh try to convince you that it can keep the law of God? Of course it does. It's deceptive. And what if we just keep a little bit of the law? How about that? Compromise. Come on, you can't live without compromise, right? A little bit of the law. How about the stuff that you actually find easy to do? All of us, because of you know our backgrounds and our DNA and whatever... We find certain aspects of God's law that you know, are not hard for us. Call them areas of strength. And so we'll keep those. And then we'll give the flesh the other stuff. And we'll find a compromise, right? God says, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, we're, we're specifically warned by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount to not even attempt that. Can't serve two masters. You just can't. So you gotta, you're going you're gonna to end up giving in to one. And you have to. We have to, to give in. And so uh, notice the flesh, it can't do it. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
so every one of us, as I said, at a certain age, even if we're not taught the law of God, say we're not brought up in a home that teaches us the law of God at all, we, start, we figure out eventually, and pretty early on, that we have to keep certain rules. There are certain things we ought to do and not, not do. And just to get along in society, right? to, to be able to be with others, because we're social beings, nobody really wants to be alone. And so we figure out that we have to keep some of the rules to be accepted as a part of society. Different societies, this is an interesting truth, that different societies have different cultures and different rules, but at the basis, at foundation, every society has the same rules. Right? There's not one society that celebrates cowardice. There never has been. They say, oh, you ran away from the fight? Oh, you're awesome. Let's give you a medal. It never, it never happened. Murder. Murder has never been okay in any society. I mean, amongst them, when they're fighting enemies, yeah, sure. But uh, stealing, it, it not, it's never been. It's not that people haven't done it. It's just it's always been frowned upon, especially when you get stolen from. You know, it's like we see in our, not to get political, but those who say, you know, don't build walls or don't do this. Uh, send your kids to public school while they're sending their kids to private school and they have a wall around their house. You know, so, it's, you know, what's good for the gander or that kind of thing. So uh, the rules are different, but, and so most people keep them except for criminals and uh, some choose criminality. And then here's the thing. After we do our duty, we hope that there's something left over for us. All right, so we... We do what we have to do. It's kind of like paying taxes. We hope there's a little bit left over for us, say, at the end of the day, that that is now it's me time. And this, to do what I really want to do. And, and this is the flesh in all of us. And all of us are built like this. That we just want to do what we have to do and then hopefully have something left over for ourselves. And therefore, what we really, we're just going through, well, we're following certain laws because we have to, but what we really want is no law over ourselves. We don't want to be restricted in any way. And so we want to give ourselves what we want. And so we'll do what we have to do, and then hopefully have time to give ourselves what we want. And <clears throat> this is a compromise. And God says you must have none of it that you must be fully given over to my law when you're alone, when you're with others, when you're on vacation, when you're hard at work, uh, in the morning, in the evening, in the afternoon. Uh, you're mine all the time. We say, God, you are uh, self-absorbed. No. <laughs> so in order to see, so how do we do this? This is where, this is where our relationship with God shows us the way. In order to see the law for what it is, we have to love the lawgiver. And this is to really see what the law is. I mean, all the scripture, all the commandments, what are they for? And why are they good? And then we will choose them because we love them. And we always do what we love in the end. We always do what we love. If we love ourselves, 
we'll not give to self as long as possible, but with the very real hope that we can give to self eventually. And that it shows you who you're loving, right? So Jesus said, where your treasure is, there's your heart. Joy in the law, actual in God's law, actual joy in knowing and following the commandments. Can you imagine such a life? Knowing and loving the commandments from God. And it comes from knowing that the benefits of the law are supreme. And you know what? They're not exclusive. It doesn't matter who... If they follow God's commands, they will be blessed in this way. Going back to Psalm 19. It restores the soul, it makes wise, it makes happy, and it makes discerning. And God said that it is eternal and righteous. This law will, as God never changes, this law will never change. Right, so well, we think we're not under the Mosaic law anymore, and we're not. We're not under its burden but the ethics and morals of the Mosaic Law are still upon us. They have not changed. In fact, Jesus showed us uh, the, the purity, what they were really meant to be. And the whole New Testament tells us this. The New Testament reveals to us what truly is the love of the Lord and the love of your neighbor, doesn't it? And it's Jesus said, I give you a new command that you love as I love. And so we have this eternal, righteous, uh, guide, command way of life. And we don't have to figure it out for ourselves. That we have it right here. There is no other way to be restored. What about restoration? It's because we break this law. Just like the, David writes in Psalm 19. In Psalm 119, you, you see it if you read through it, that the one writing that amazing psalm is a lawbreaker. And... You know, he doesn't live that way, but he understands it. He breaks the law at times. And how do we get restoration? God reveals in his scripture how to not live in the past. You can can start new every morning. And you have God's forgiveness. And we're also to forgive one another. So hopefully you have people in your life that forgive you. As they must, according to God's law. And that therefore we can move on. And this, this grace of God and this forgiveness of God restores us and it makes us long for to walk with Him all the time. There's nobody who loves you like the Lord. There's nobody who has done for you what the Lord has done. Nobody. Not even close. And He longs, He bids you in me to pick up our crosses and follow Him. So one of the great benefits of the law is that God hasn't hidden anything from us. It doesn't matter who you are. You can follow it. Your education level, your background, your genetics, your gender, all the things that Satan in our world now is making a big issue out of race, isn't he? And it's done to divide. And and it's working. People are at each other's throats in our nation. It's working. We're, and whereas, you know, what God says, where is the real person? Where is this I that is supposed to be full of light? Where is it? And Jesus told us it's in your heart. If you want to point to this, that's fine, you know. My, Pastor McLaughlin used to make a huge issue out of the 
this thing pumps blood. It doesn't think. And I, I, we always loved it. But point anywhere. It's in there. We know it's not the muscle that's pumping blood. But it is in there, in your soul. This eye that sees. It has nothing to do with what you look like outwardly. Nothing. And any of us can follow it. Yeah, if we choose, and it's going to be it's going to be a struggle. You know, as, as Paul said, I fight the good fight. It is going to be a fight. It's you, the sin nature, the world, the attacks of the kingdom of darkness is going to come at you. Uh, the more you the more you are committed to this, the more opposition you will feel. God hasn't hidden anything from us. And though we certain we uh, struggle with certain commands, we know that there is no secret command. Is there some hidden way that only certain people can find? Is there some kind of encrypted instruction that only certain smart people can discover? Oh, you don't have to be smart for this at all. You just have to be faithful. God, he said it, right? Colossians 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 1. I didn't call the wise. So here you are. (laughs) But nobody's wise. Nobody is wise. Nobody. Only the Lord Jesus is wise. Go to Proverbs 12. A couple of Proverbs. Make sure I keep my eye on the time here. Proverbs 12, 28. When we know what we have to do, there is no anxiety. Right? We're not at a loss here. We know where the path is. So it takes away our anxiety of discovery. Uh, we might have anxiety as to the fact that whether we can, we can walk the path or not. That's a different story. And what are we to do with any worry or anxiety? In First Peter chapter 5, we are to cast it on the Lord. Uh, and... So we know confidently that the way of God is given to us. Uh, and it's not a creation of man. If you know, Mankind has throughout history come up with ways for life. And they're all flawed. Right? The philosophers, um, the, even the, the philosophers in, in early Rome and in Greece. Uh, say, for instance, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. They've got some good stuff. But is it flawless? Not even close. Not close. It's good, especially Plato. Socrates is pretty awesome too. But you know, it's flawed at a certain level. And so, uh, you know, there's there's only one lawgiver, and we're not in the dark here. You know, everybody can have the scripture. All of us can read it and understand it. You're given the gift of past the teacher in the church to help explain it. But you also have the scripture to read on your own and to, to explore. And all of us can know. So look at uh, Proverbs 12:28. In the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. So again, the Proverbs are quick, uh, and they're just couplets. Two little lines that speak of a truth. Proverbs 12:28 again. In the way of righteousness is life. And in its pathway, there is no death. Go to Proverbs 
And I, I chose the, the word uh, way is in both of these Proverbs. Proverbs 16, 17, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who watches his way preserves his life. Uh, so, and this uh, watching of our way, notice who's doing the watching here. Of course, God is always watching, but we're also watching in our own, the way that we're going. Now, where is our way and where we, where our priorities are, you know, the way that we honor, where, you know, we can keep it secret from people, but we can't keep it secret from God. Sometimes we keep it secret from ourselves, which is called self-deception, uh, but, you know, where is that? And it's in our conscience. The way that we want, the way that we love is in our conscience. And God has made it so that we can look at it. This is what distinguishes us from the animal kingdom. That God breathed into us. He made us from the, dust of the dirt of the ground, the dust of the ground. And then he breathed into us the Neshema. The Neshama, the Hebrew word for life, the soul life, spirit life, he breathed into us. And it turns out that that is the very word that God uses for us to be able to look down deep into our own conscience and find out what's going on. We can look right at it. Now, the problem is sometimes we don't want to look at it. We'd rather ignore it. But with God's word... And God, God, see, this is one of the one of the benefits that I'm seeing for myself so much lately in this study of prayer, is that when I'm talking to God about the things that He wants me to talk to Him about, which is my own spiritual life, I know that I can't lie to Him. You see, duh, right? Yeah, I mean, He sees all things, but I I could say in the past that I've in my prayer, which was a lot more formal and less real that I was lying to God. So I would say, God, change this. But secretly, I'm like, not just yet. God, I want to see this, but I know how committed I'll have to be to see it, so why don't we put it off? Do I want it? You know, do... and, And now, I'm like, God, I'm lying to you. And then, and I swear, he bids me. He's like, come on, say it. It, do I have to say it? And I'm, I'm not praying out loud usually, but do I have to say it for his benefit? No, it's for me. What is this, Joe, that you are avoiding so much? Let's hear it. Oh, man, and it's to the core of you. Breaks you. No more lies. Tell me. Let's get it out in the open. It's a lifelong conversation with the Almighty. And we're avoid- what we do, we go to these prescribed prayers. I'm not saying that the prescribed prayer is wrong, but don't make it unreal. You know, if you have a prayer list, absolutely. You've got others to pray for, but sometimes our lists become like things that we read like we're at an audition. And this is a very real You know, the Lord Jesus is at the right hand of God as our mediator, as one who intercedes for us, and we're there. We have been given the right to stand before the Father in his very holy of holies and talk to him as a son does or a daughter does to his father and to hear back. And he does. He shows us the way. And you can't lie to him. It's all out there. And 
Yeah, I get choked up too. Is he going to smash me over the head? No. Does he understand? Yeah, of course he does. Is he going to put me down? No. So in like Revelation 3, the last one, the church of Laodicea, behold, I stand at the door and knock. All right? It's like, well, if you let me in, you and I will dine together. You know, it's probably not a salvation verse, although some people think it is. But regardless, uh, it's for us as believers. We're told walk with Him, dine with Him, love with Him, do everything with Him. And prayers away. In the upper room, Jesus told us about prayer four times. In John 13, 14, 15, and 16, four times He mentioned prayer. The only other thing he mentioned four times was love. It's important. It should not be neglected. So, uh, in terms of now us in this mimicking Deuteronomy and Jeremiah 21.8, thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. And he says, choose. Now, it's gracious to say choose because that means I can. Yeah, I can choose wrong, but I can also choose right. And I, no matter what, I have the power to do this. And as we were talking about before class, you know, maybe, maybe it's been 40 years of doctrine before I'm finally starting to do this, or finally starting to get it. For me, it's about 30, and finally starting to kind of get it. And I think, wow, uh, wouldn't it have been great if I got it 20 years ago? And it would have. But what am I going to do? Be all depressed about that or get with it now? Right? Get with it now. It doesn't matter how old you are. We're all in our infancy. We have eternal life. You're just at the beginning. We're all little babies. But whenever you get it, you get it. Run with it. Because this is, as Jesus said, I came to give them life. And to give it abundantly. It's his life. And it takes us a while to get it. But when we get it, it's wonderful. So it is grace to know God's commands. God's commands completely release us from self-made plans. Self-made plans. We don't need any of that. We just follow him. Right? That's what he said. Follow me. Peter, do you love me? <laughs> I love that passage. And Peter gets all mad at him. And uh, Jesus says, look, follow me. What about John? Yeah, you follow me. So they make our steps certain. The commands of God make our steps certain. Here's the thing, though. As Jesus said, and we just got a minute or two to get there. Let's go to Matthew 7. I hate, you know, I. I can't stand this sometimes because I get warmed up right about now and (laughs) I could go another hour at least, but we won't do that. Certain steps. (laughs) Barbara, it makes me think of Mabel every time I look at this passage. Uh, Mabel, uh, Barbara's mom, she was, I think, 96 at the time. She wasn't long on the earth. From that point, it was the first time I ever met her, and it was over at their house. And uh, 
Barbara's sister, Willie, was helping her go to the bathroom, and then she was going off to bed. And she was a little uneasy on her feet, and she could tell that I was looking at her. I was a little nervous for her. And Mabel stopped, and she stared at me with these big, bright eyes. And she said, my steps are ordered by the Lord. And it was like, don't you look at me like that. I was like, yes, ma'am, they are. Uh, And this, what does Jesus call it? A narrow path. I mean, narrow. And that doesn't mean it's impossible to find. It means that we can get off it really easily. It's, It's narrow, meaning that there's no compromise. It's not a broad path. See, everybody wants a broad, well, people in the world, they want a broad path, which is compromise, which is, you know, a little leniency. God says, uh-uh, uh-uh, there is one righteous way, and it's narrow. Stay on it. And what's beautiful is, he says, narrow is the road that leads to life, right? It, that means we can stay on it. That's the good news. And the good news is if we stay on it and stay on it long enough, we're going to see what life really is. If we spend too much time off of it, you know, which was my problem, it's not about me, but the problem, I'd say, could be mine, in the, at least in the past, and sometimes recently, is that I'll, I'll be on it for a bit and then I get off it and I'm on it and I'm off it. I don't mean for a moment here or there. It's just time uh, where... You know, people can get we get absorbed with certain things that are not of this way, and we're slowing ourselves down from discovery. We're slowing ourselves down from seeing that which is life indeed, as our Lord said. This narrow road, we got to stay on it. And so this this whole idea of you know, all right, I'll stay on the road long enough until I have time to get off it. Because, you know, I want, you know, in my real heart of hearts, I don't want to be on this road. I'd rather be doing my own thing. Is that you don't make much progress. And there's a whole bunch of stuff you don't see. And decades can go by and you never see it. You know, we were, we were thinking uh, today, Sue and I were talking about, like, you know, how do people get along in this life without God, especially as they get older and they realize that life, you know, they're not going to be the astronaut that they dreamed of being or whatever. And, uh, you know, how do you get along without God? And the the way that we do it, and it makes me think of uh, Aldous Huxley's uh, Brave New World, is that people are just occupied. They just get occupied with stuff. You can spend the whole day looking at this and looking at that and looking at this. It's all superficial stuff that's just there to entertain you momentarily when you get sick of that little entertainment you go to the next one and the next one and the next one and then you go to bed it's over and you had not one deep thought not one real thought but you were easily occupied distracted Uh, for us we have this wonderful law and we must pray about this the way is narrow which doesn't make it impossible but does make it exclusive and uncompromising. Exclusive means, first off, only believers can be on it. Uh, Hebrews 10.19 says, We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. We have this way. It's been given to us. As it says in Hebrews 10, Jesus opened the door. 
The way's always been there. It's just been cut off to man because the Lord had to die for us. Once he died for us, the door was open. The veil was torn. So now we are in the Holy of Holies. That's the way. And stupidly, we look out. We say, well, this Holy of Holies is awesome. And then we're looking out the window at something else. Not that there's a window, but I hope you know what I mean. Uh, So look at Matthew 7, 7, 7. We should about do it here. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. All three, they're not three separate things. They all refer to the same thing. Persistence in prayer. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it shall be opened. And we wonder, you know, do we get everything that we ask for? And we know that we don't. Uh, but further on, right, you, can't, you can't make a prayer doctrine out of this verse alone. You have to compare it with all other verses. That's how you comprise a doctrine. And in John, Jesus said, ask in my name and it will be given to you. And in his name is a declaration of his will. So if it's asked according to God's will, then yes. God said, according to my will, you will find. You seek me in this way, you will find me. Seek me with all your heart, as Jeremiah Jeremiah 29, you will find me. It's a guarantee. So, and then he says in verse 9, Or what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Right? That's prayer. Ask. Seek. Knock. And when we, we do this when it's important to us, and it will be important to us when we love the Lord. <clears throat> so he says, Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law of the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those that find it. The narrow gate is Jesus himself as a Savior. We walk through that gate when we believe in Christ as our Savior. That's why it's narrow. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. But once we walk through that door, does the way get broad? Meaning, does it include now our own desires and our own passions? It does not. That way remains narrow because it is the way of righteousness, holiness. And this is what we're called to. So, this we find in the law of God. All right, one more thing. i got just a couple minutes. Where am I now? Now, this verse, this uh, Proverbs 20, 27. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the, most, searching all the innermost parts of his being. Right? So, first off, this word spirit is the Hebrew word neshema. And neshema is what was breathed into us. This spirit that God gave us, this separates us from the animal kingdom. We have a conscience. We have an inner self that dreams and desires 
uh, and imagines, and the animals don't have this, but we do. But with this, in the context here, it says it's the lamp of the Lord. This is not saying that God is going through our soul with a lamp. He's, it's saying that he gave us the lamp. The lamp is our conscience, and we can examine it. Now, what, if we want to see what it is truthfully, and again, ask, seek, knock, you will find. We can go to God in prayer and say, you know, I think that in my conscience this is wrong or this is right or whatever, and you will be guided by him. But the lamp is given to you so that you can search all the innermost parts of your being. Now, why don't people do this right? Because we can, we can think we're doing this and not do it. It's because they lack the law. Right? Our topic, they lack the law of God, meaning, I mean, I'm talking about the law is broad, the word of God. Because in Hebrews 4, the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and the spirit and joints of the marrow, being a critic of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I have Neshema, so do you. As a born-again believer, we are new creatures that are designed to live this spiritual life. To, we're designed for it, to live the narrow way. And we now have the Word of God to take and to examine ourselves. Do we love the law? Do we love the Lord? That's between you and Him. But you can find out. And it is a great thing to find out. And if here's and also wonderfully, if you find out in your honesty with God that you really don't love it as much as you thought you did, does God reject you? He says, you want to fix this? Because I can fix it. I know how to fix everything. You want to fix this? Because we can fix it. We can start right now and fix it. And, your, and all the things that we saw about the law, when I get to you, you'll be restored, you'll be wise, happy, and discerning. Psalm 19. Who doesn't want that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the guidance of your word. Thank you for these psalms. In each one is a, a plethora of truth that leads us to see. And when we can see, Father, we can discern. And by discerning, Father, we can see in our own hearts through the conscience that you've given us to see if we relate to you, how well we relate to you, and how to fix the things that are getting in the way. And for all of us, there's always something. And Father, we just uh, thank you for your grace and your forgiveness, that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And so we can explore ourselves with you. The good also, we must not neglect that. What it is in us that we do actually truly love about you and the parts that we need to fix and improve. By your grace, Father, and through faith in your word, that we can do this by the power of the Holy Spirit within who will lead us and guide us and empower us in your way to accomplish all your good pleasure within ourselves. We ask, Father, that through your supernatural gift 
of grace and faith that we would do so. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Wow, Grant is back. That is awesome. Yeah. I heard the reception you got when you walked in. Remember, I used to, uh, in Cheers, Norm would walk into Cheers. They'd be like, Norm, yeah. Everybody knows your name. At least you were missed. You know, that's a good thing. That is, right? They couldn't have faked that. All right, well, let's see how good the offering is now that you're back. (laughs) Totally kidding, totally kidding. All right, let's pray for our offering. We thank you, Father, for your word and for uh, to be able to together to sit before you, Father, and all of us learn, learn together as a family, as you have made us to be. Uh, We, of course, Father, uh, our offering is an opportunity for us to give as your believer priests and worship of you. Um, and we thank you, Father, for providing for us so that we can have this ministry. We ask your blessing upon this offering in Christ's name. Amen. You know, that, that song always reminds me of the, the, the rapture. Um, it does. I don't know why. It's a nice thing to finish on that, you know, as, as we're all, um, you know, groping and learning and trying to get this walking on this narrow way just right. Just always remember it could be today or tomorrow. The Lord is coming back to get us, and that is a promise and a guarantee. Let's, let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for uh, our gathering. Thank you for this time. To anyone listening who has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior, this time is for you. It's just a few moments. So please consider deeply who is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who has become a man. He didn't give up his deity He took upon Himself humanity so that He could be our Savior. Only He has done this. Only He could do this. He is perfect, sinless, but He took upon Himself the sins of the world as He hung on the cross at Calvary. And that's for you. He died for you, just as He did for everybody. And therefore, by being judged for your sins, the offer of salvation is given to you The offer of eternal life is given to you by faith. You have to accept it. It can't be forced on you. Faith is just you holding out your hand to take the gift. The gift is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And you can be saved by faith in Him. Believe in Him and you will be saved. Thank you, Father, for all you are and all you have done. In Christ's name, amen.
Tell us why you had to hide away.